You know, almost every time I share a message, and I think anybody that's probably shared a message and went to the effort of preparing one, as God's dealing with you and showing you what he wants you to preach or teach, you usually get a little convicted yourself. Um, and I need to confess that this week, this one I, really convicts me personally. So I hope that I'm not the only one because I'd like to feel that I'm not the only one sitting in that mess of conviction. But the good news is you can repent of it quickly. And trust me, I've been repenting most of the week for the way I have not dealt with this particular thing I'm going to be talking about this evening or this morning. Um, First, I want to just share a couple of quotes. Um, First one is from a, a lady who was born way back, <clears throat> way back in 1880. And I just tell you the date because I want us to understand, back in the 1880, you know, we're talking, what, 140 years ago. Um, medicine wasn't what it is today, obviously. And there was this family that had a baby daughter, and she was a perfectly healthy baby daughter until she was about 18 months old. And she got some sort of disease at the time they didn't know what it was. They didn't have a way to tell. It might have been scarlet fever. might have been meningitis. But irregardless, this little 18-year-old, 18-month-old baby lost her sight and her hearing. So she was blind and deaf. And this is the quote that Helen Keller spoke. So much has been given to me that I have not time to ponder that which I do not have. So much has been given to me. Blind and deaf from the time she was 18 months old. If you've seen the movie or read any of the books about her, uh, she was incorrigible as a child. She was trapped in this world of deafness and blindness, and her behavior was crazy. She was almost uncontrollable by her parents until someone came and really was able to nurture her and teach her. She became the first blind, deaf person to ever get a Bachelor of Arts degree in this nation. She went on to meet with presidents, politicians, and people in power. There's a movie made about her life. But she started out blind and deaf. And her comment... I don't have time to ponder the things I don't have because of all the blessings that I do have. The next one is from a lady that most of us have probably heard about, a little more contemporary, Joni Erickson Tada. Joni Erickson, at the time Jody Erickson, was a 17-year-old girl. Athletic, healthy, getting ready to take off into a college life. She'd accepted Christ when she was 14 at a, at a camp, kind of strayed a little bit, not, not real bad compared to some of us probably. But when she was 17, getting ready to graduate from her senior year of high school, she prayed a prayer, kind of a prayer of repentance, recognizing that she wasn't living the way that she needed to live to glorify God. 17-year-old girl. And her prayer was, I'm paraphrasing her prayer, her prayer was basically like this, Lord, forgive me for not living the way that you want me to live. Do whatever it takes in my life that I might live to glorify you. Well, if you know Joni Erickson Tata's story, 
her and her sister went swimming. She dove off the raft and severed her spinal cord as a 17-year-old girl. Quadriplegic. She can move her hands a little bit, but everything else from the neck down is paralyzed. And she's been in that wheelchair for over 50 years now. She's also been in ministry for over 50 years. If you're familiar with her, she first became on, came on the stage publicly for her artwork. She painted or drew with the pencil or paintbrush in her mouth. Fabulous pictures. She went on to write books. She wrote a book that's been translated into over 38 languages and over 5 million copies in distribution. Again, a movie was made of her life. She also has met with presidents. She's spoken to hundreds of thousands of people at Billy Graham Crusades. But at 17, she was paralyzed from the neck down after praying for God to do whatever it takes in her life. I'm not going to try to say that God made that happen. I didn't go there. But the reality is, it changed her life forever. And this was her quote. Giving thanks is not a matter of feeling thankful. It's a matter of obedience. Now, thankfulness defined, if I, you look it up in a dictionary, and depending on the dictionary, it's going to say something like this. It's a feeling of being happy or grateful because of something. That doesn't line up with jo- <coughs> Joni Erickson Tata's statement, does it? It's not so much a feeling, it's an act of obedience, or in other words, an act of the will. There's an interesting fact about thankfulness. Science has done some research. And what they discovered is an attitude of thankfulness or gratitude increases the dopamine levels in our brain. Now, you may not be familiar with what dopamine is, but it makes you feel good. It's very important as a, 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 a kind of a connector between nerves that influences many different things in our body from movement and motion to mood, feelings of pleasure, things like that. And it's interesting when the brain receives that, that rush of dopamine from being thankful or, grat- or grateful, guess what? The brain wants more of it. And it knows where it gets it from. And it's almost as if the more that we are grateful and thankful, the more things we see that we can be grateful and thankful for. It's an amazing thing. Simply being thankful. Choosing to be thankful. The biblical definition, if you would, is not quite the same as the dictionaries where it focuses on the feeling. There is an emotion attached to it, but truly in the Bible, in the Scriptures, we're going to see that it's definitely more an act of the will and an act of obedience because we're commanded to. So what we're going to do today is look at some Scriptures. And again, every time I use so many Scriptures, I violate, you know, preaching 101 where it tells you don't do that. But we're going to look at quite a few Scriptures. Some of them will be on the screen. Some of them won't be on the screen. 
But I want us to look at these scriptures, just read the scriptures, and, and I'm going to make a few comments about the scriptures, a few observations about the scriptures, but really I think these scriptures speak for themselves pretty clearly. The title of my message is this, Thankfulness is Not a Suggestion. Thankfulness is not a suggestion. It's a command from God to be thankful. It's a direct command. As I said, more an act of the will. You know, if it is a command, which I'm saying it is, if the Bible agrees with that, when we are not thankful, what does that mean? It means we're being disobedient. See, I started getting convicted right there, right? If it's a command that we're called to be thankful, and I'm not thankful, I do not have a thankful attitude, I am in disobedience to God. The first scripture I want us to look at is found in Colossians chapter 3. This one will be on the screen. Starting in verse 15. And again, I think really most of these scriptures today will be familiar to most of you that are familiar with your Bibles in any depth at all. But it says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you do, In word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We could could spend time on this one section of Scripture for a long, long time. But notice the first part of the verse. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That word rule there means like to be an arbitrator or to be an umpire. One who's going to judge. Let the peace of God, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That peace that comes from Him, not not in me, not based on circumstances or situations, but let that peace rule, arbitrate, umpire your heart. Guiding us, directing us. You know, I think this gets abused a lot, but there is a reality to this. The peace that we feel in decision-making or doing things should be an arbitrator, the umpire. It is one of those things that should give us some direction. Is this what I should be doing or isn't this what I should be doing? It's not the only thing because some of us in our flesh can use that as a reason or an excuse to do whatever it is we want. But the reality is let it rule. Let it arbitrate your heart. Let it arbitrate the way you think and act and the things that you do. And do it all in the name of the Lord. What does that mean, really? Do it all in the name of the Lord. I'm going to just offer you this. Do it all as if you are a representative of the Lord. Do it all as if you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you speak, remember you're doing it as unto the Lord as a representative of the Lord. If, that's, if we're Christians, that's the reality, right? We are called to be his ambassadors. We're called to represent Christ. And here the scripture says, whatever you do in word that comes out of my mouth, 
and deed, every action that I take and make, everything I do, do it all in the name of the Lord. Boy, that one hurt my feet when I started meditating on that. Everything I do, everything I say. Can I really have a peace about it? And then can I do what the rest of the verse says, give thanks through him? Can I give him thanks in all the things I'm doing and all the things that I'm speaking? This is what we're called to do as a representative of Jesus Christ. So it's a command from Scripture, not a suggestion. It's a command. And actually, as we look at the next Scripture, you'll see that it's clearly stated that this is the will of God for you. Oftentimes when we, I do messages or we look at things in the Scripture, you know, I always bring up this, you know, I just wish I knew the will of God, right? I mean, I say that. I think that more often than I maybe say it out loud. But boy, Lord, I just wish I knew your will. Well, there are those things that there is a specific will of God for whatever it is you're facing. But in a general sense, here's another example. He tells us clearly, this is the will of God for you. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, starting there, going through verse 19. Again, you ever want to, somebody wants you to memorize two, three verses? Here's a couple, two, three to memorize because they're really short, really easy. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And then in everything, give thanks. Everything, give thanks. And I just want you to note the word there, in everything, give thanks. Not for, but in. We'll look at that in just a second. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I'll come back to that last verse in just a moment. Do not quench the Spirit. I hear that verse oftentimes quoted when people are doing things or the Spirit's supposedly not moving. And I think we forget their actual context right here. It's telling us that we are to rejoice always in all things. We've heard that before. We know those words. Rejoice always. How can I rejoice always? Bad things are happening. It's not about the circumstances. It's about who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done, and who we are in his sight once we accept him as our Lord and Savior. We can rejoice always in all things and pray without ceasing. You know, it's not that you're praying with your mouth or your mind every single second of the day, but it's living in an attitude of prayer. Living in an attitude of prayer. How many times a day do we face decisions where we have to make a choice or make a decision? And I'm, I'm shocked how few times I actually offer to the Lord first before I make the decision, you know, because, God, I think I'm really capable. I think I've been experienced at that. I think I might even be smart enough to do this. Really, all about me, self. Live in an attitude of prayer. I've got to make a decision. Well, it seems obvious, but Lord, is there something I'm not seeing? Is there something I'm missing? Lord, if I do this, what could be the ramifications of it? If I tell someone this, how will it affect them and their lives and maybe more? You know, just think, it really looks simple at the forefront, but if I would just take the time in everything, live a lifestyle of prayer, seeking him for his guidance and his direction, for this is God's will for your life. Then I wrote down in my notes, Mike, are you in the will of God? 
Am I giving Him thanks for all things and everything? Am I giving Him thanks in everything? And notice, I think when you look at this in context, you can't separate out verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. In my mind, it's as if here's these things that we're supposed to do, but if you don't do them, the Spirit is going to be quenched in your life. Don't do that. Don't allow the Holy Spirit to be quenched. What do you mean? Quit rejoicing. Start complaining. Don't pray about it. Do your own thing. I deserve whatever I get. I guarantee you those attitudes are going to quench the Holy Spirit in your life. They just will. Conviction will be there that there will be so much lacking. As a matter of fact, when you look at the Holy Spirit, I think thankfulness is probably one of the clearest expressions of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We can get all excited about other manifestations of being filled with the Holy Spirit depending how we look at it and what context we're talking. But one of the simplest, and I believe we'll see most powerful expressions of being filled with the Holy Spirit is simply being thankful. Ephesians 5, verse 17. In context, if you read Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 16, basically what you're going to see is Paul encouraging the church in Ephesus to be an imitator of Christ. Don't live like those who are in darkness. Live like those who have been brought into the light. Don't live this sinful, evil life, but live this God-honoring life. And then he comes to, eventually, verse 17. And he says, Therefore, do not be foolish. He makes all that comparisons about living in a way that glorifies God, all that God has done for us. He says, so therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Here we are again, helping us understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now, so often, we stop there, and we focus on this negative command. Do not get drunk on wine. And obviously, it's a good command. But I think the main point here isn't the negative, it's what follows, it's the positive. He says, don't get drunk on wine, but instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Then if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, what will come out of us? And it's almost a repetition from what we saw in in 1 Thessalonians. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. In your heart to the Lord. Those of you that are missing adult Bible class, you should come. You'll be learning a lot about the heart. But notice how often it's part of what we're looking at and thankfulness is attached to it. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. And when you see words like always and everything, you know what it means, right? Always and everything. And always and everything. Be giving thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we are again, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be giving thanks in everything. 
in everything. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What are some expressions of being filled? He gives us those three right away. Praising Him. Man, there should be just praise coming out of us, out of our hearts, the depth of us, not just our intellect, not just our brain, not just words rolling off our tongue. Are they the real deal? Praise. And always giving thanks. Now, I stressed before, in everything. Obviously, we aren't going to give thanks for everything. We're not going to give thanks for sin. We're not going to give thanks for ungodliness. We're not going to give thanks for those kinds of things that are so antithetical to God. But even in the worst of those situations, there are things that we can give thanks for in everything. Even in the midst of the darkest times in our life, what can we give thanks for? And, and I really love it when I, you know, the way I think, an old science teacher still in there, it's like, I love it when science and the scriptures just come together. Give thanks for everything. A rush of dopamine, it makes me feel better. It makes me feel, feel emotionally good again. And people might actually like being around you a lot more when you're that kind of person. It just works that way. Amazing, isn't it, that science really supports what God tells us to do? That there's benefits to us? And then it also goes on and says, Give thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice the last few words in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the expressions of being a Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit is esteeming others more highly than we esteem ourselves. That's a good way of defining what submitted to one another means. I esteem you more than I esteem myself. I want to put you before me. I want to put you first. I'm going to set aside my selfish nature, my selfish tendencies, and I want to just submit unto you. And this is what he tells us so clearly is part of an expression of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's just amazing to me how these things just continue to tie together when we look at it as a command of God that we're commanded to do it. It's the will of God, and it expresses itself because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, or it should. And then I want us to look at how it affects our prayer life. It affects our prayer life. Now, I don't want anybody to hear that I'm giving you a formula here on how to pray. Okay, that's not the deal. But I want us to look at some of the scriptures we have here and see what appears to be in a very effective way to pray. At least you might want to put it on your list of, maybe I should. I know even this week, it's made a difference in how I am praying when I'm praying for anything. Whether it's our government, our leaders, people in the church, the prayer chain calls that come in, the, the, the health of people. It's causing me to think differently than I normally would. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. Did everybody hear that? Don't worry about anything. Does that sound like a command to anybody but me? Don't worry about anything. 
So if it's a command, what is it if I'm worrying? Okay, I'll leave that alone. But I think it's clear. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. What's it mean, petition? It means to ask the Lord for things while we're praying, petitioning God for whatever it is we're praying for. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I I don't know about you, but I know if I just kind of go off and start praying about something, boy, a lot of the time, there's no thanksgiving in my prayers. I'm just going right to petitions. And I don't think God says, Mike, you're doing it wrong. But I wonder, does it impact the way I am praying? And I think it does. Look at the next verse that I have, Colossians 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. I want to look at prayer, the petition type prayer, you know, when we're really just coming to the Lord and we're praying about things, for things, for other people, for direction, whatever, whatever we're petitioning for, whatever we're asking Him for. In that type of prayer, a suggestion might be always start with thanksgiving for things that God has already done. Why? Because it starts to build my faith. And I don't know how many times I can slip into prayer for praying for something. It might come across the prayer chain or it might be something somebody said to me or whatever. And even when I'm praying it, I'm just not believing this is not going to happen. It's not going to work this way. But all of a sudden, if I just start praying differently, Lord, I thank you so much for the way that you have blessed this nation. I thank you for our forefathers and the wisdom you gave them. I thank you for the way that the Constitution was put together. I thank you that we have lived in relative freedom for well over 200 years, and we could really say almost 400 years. God, I thank you, and I thank you, and I praise you for that. Lord, give us leaders. All of a sudden, I can believe for him to do something, even when I look at the choices, you know, not on our, well, on the ballot. And I go, oh, gosh. Lord can do whatever he wants. Guess what? He will. In that situation, in any situation. But as I pray and and I start that prayer with thanksgiving, thanking Him for things that He's already done. Man, when we pray for people for healing in our worship healing nights or even every Sunday morning, you know, it's awfully easy to have that person come up with a request and we just go right into petition praying, God, I will please do this, do that, do the other thing. And again, nothing wrong with that necessarily, but... Man, if I start praying about what I've seen God do, God, I I just thank you. I I just praise you for the way I've seen you. Give sight to people who can't see. Open the deaf ears of people. I, I thank you for the way that you have healed emotions. I thank you the way you've changed lives, especially mine. I thank you and praise you for that. Now, Lord, would you, because you are, and then pray. Boy, something more in me has risen up called faith simply because I'm just reviewing in my mind and giving thanks for what he's done. Again, it's not a formula, but I hope it makes sense to us because it seems like as we're going to look into Scripture, we see this pattern over and over. Then I want to just touch on intercessory prayer. And and when you hear intercessory prayer, sometimes we all get goofy and think, what the heck is intercessory prayer and who are those people and blah, 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 blah. Intercessory prayer just means I'm praying for somebody else. Every time you get a prayer request online, If you pray for that person, you're interceding. 
you're an intercessor. You're praying for them. So an intercessory prayer, when we pray, begin with thankfulness for the person you're praying about, for the nation you're praying over, for whatever the situation might be. You know, there's one thing thing that I think can be really destructive is when we start, even before we pray, we kind of rehash in our mind all the issues that person's got. God, I wish you'd save that no-good scoundrel of a... I know he's a drunk. I know he swears like a sailor. I know he uses your name in vain. Why would you talk about this person, especially if he's a child of God? You know, think about it. You're starting your prayer. Before you even go to prayer, you're, you're standing there criticizing the one who the Lord has saved, who's created in his image. I mean, if you want to pray for my kids with me, that's good, but don't start your prayer that way. I don't need you to start praying with all the bad things they might have done. Or if you're going to pray for me, you don't need to rehash my past just before we start praying. We need to give thanks. And there's power, I believe, released in that. I'm going to look at a couple examples. And these scriptures aren't going to be on the board. And they'll be easy to find even if you don't write down what they are. Because all you got to do is to go to most of Paul's letters to the churches. And usually, he starts this way, Romans 1.8. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ. What's he do? First, I thank God. First thing I'm going to do is thank God for, and through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. But first thing I'm going to thank God. Ephesians 1.15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you and your love for the saints... I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. I don't cease to give thanks for you. Every time I pray for you, I start by giving thanks for you. Philippians 1, 3 and 4, verse 3. I thank God every time I remember you. Wow. How, would, how, how much time would we spend in prayer? if we felt that way about our brothers and sisters in Christ. As soon as that person came across your mind, the first thing you do is, Lord, I thank you for that person. I thank you for who they are, what they are. I thank you for their lives. How Paul, that's how Paul prayed. That's how we started. Colossians 1.3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always do. It's what we do. It's just normal, Paul says. That's all we do. We think of you and we're going to pray for you. Let's pray for the church in, in Ballathan. Let's pray for the church in Cottonwood. Let's pray for the church in Lake Crystal. Well, you know what? Good. Let's start. Let's give thanks every time we remember you. Thankfulness. Verse 4. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. I mean, this is kind of repetitious. That's why I didn't put them all on the screen. But you see the pattern, Right? There's power when we see repetition in the Scriptures. Paul just did it all the time. I'm going to pray for you, but I thank God for you first. There's something about being thankful people. We're in the will of God, first of all, and it's powerful. Then we can see in 2 Timothy 1.3, here he's praying for Timothy. Personal prayer here, not just the whole church. He says, I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day... I constantly remember you in my prayers. Timothy, I, I thank God for you every time. I, I, every time I pray for you, I thank Him for you. 
I thank Him for what you, God's done in your life. I thank Him for who you've become in Christ. I thank you for the way you've responded and the way you endure suffering, etc. I mean, that's how Paul prays. And I think Paul would be a pretty good person to model our prayer lives after. It seemed to work well for him. Thankfulness and effective prayer. Taking it one step further, it seems, and I use that word, it seems like I can find a connection between thankfulness and seeing the power of God released in our prayers. Most of us remember the story of Jonah, right? The Lord spoke to Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to lead them to this place of repentance. And Nineveh says, yea, Lord. No, he said, now I think I'm going to run from the Lord's presence. That's what he did. And he ended up in the belly of a big fish. That's a good prayer closet. <laughs> the belly of a big fish. And we see his prayer. If you, if you look in, in chapter 2 of Jonah, you'll see he, he prays. And by the time he gets to verse 9, however, this is how he prays. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes through the Lord. And then immediately, and I don't want to make too big a deal of this, but it's immediately after he talks about thanksgiving that you get to the next verse. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry lands. I mean, he had a really nice prayer. But as soon as he was giving thanks, God moved. And he, just, just, he didn't just vomit him out. He vomited him out onto dry land. In John chapter 6, in verse 11, we're in the midst of the context here is when Jesus is feeding the 5,000. You know, and... I, I sometimes imagine how I would have prayed if I'd have been Jesus and saw I had a few fish and a couple of loaves of bread, 5,000 plus people. Man, I'd have wanted to come up with a really good prayer. In verse 11, Jesus says that he took the loaves and he gave thanks. He gave thanks. And he gave thanks. I mean, here's Jesus, Son of God. And the first thing he does is give thanks. And he distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. And then he did the same thing with the fish. He just gave thanks. And the writer of the Gospel of John, John, seemed to think it was a pretty important thing because a little later in chapter 6, when he comes to verse 23, the context has changed. Jesus has walked on water. And he uses this. He's explaining location to some of the people that were in their boats looking for Jesus. And here's what he repeats. Of all the things he could have repeated... In verse 23, he says this, Then some boats came from Tiberias, and they landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord gave thanks. John obviously thought that was a big deal. He didn't just say, this is where they came to that place where God he just multiplied the fish and he multiplied the bread and we fed over 5,000 people and we got done. We picked up basket after basket full of leftovers. No, all he says was, you know, remember that place where Jesus gave thanks? And a miracle took place. And one of the really bigger miracles, if you would, in John chapter 11, it's the story of Lazarus that we're all familiar with. Jesus finally gets to the tomb. Lazarus has been in there for a few days, like four. 
going into the fourth day. And he tells them to remove the stone. And starting in verse 41, he says, So they took the stone away, and Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have heard me. And he says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus is standing before an open tomb with a decaying body, a bunch of grieving people, his grieving friends. And what does he do? He just says, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you always hear me. Saying that, Lord, I already know that, but I wanted them to hear it. What do they hear? Thanking the Father. And then he just simply says, Lazarus, come forth. And he is brought back to life. There seems to be a connection in our prayer life where thankfulness can play a real role in releasing God's power. Again, I'm not trying to teach formulas, but it seems like when we look at scriptures, it's repeated over and over and over. The last thing I want to do this morning is and there's a whole lot of verses I could go to next talking about. What, what words would you use that would be the opposite of thankfulness? You can participate. Grumbling, murmuring, complaining, whining, ungrateful. You could go on with this list. And the Scripture is full of people and stories where they were ungrateful grumblers and murmurers. And in the Old Testament in particular, that wasn't a good idea to murmur to God, especially against God's people, to complain and murmur. You know what? We see throughout most of the Old Testament, God judged them, and he judged them really harshly. I don't see that in the New Testament in the same way. But I think the verdict was in how God thinks about grumbling and murmuring. Thankfully, he isn't going to strike all of us dead, I don't think, when we grumble and complain and murmur. In Philippians 2, verse 14, do everything without complaining, without arguing. You can put all those other words in there you want. Murmuring, being ungrateful, being critical, so that you may become blameless and pure. How do I become blameless and pure? Well, I can tell you how you're not going to be blameless and pure. Start murmuring and complaining. God's verdict is in on how he thinks about that. Be blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. This is another one of the many verses that convicted me. I've been known to complain a little bit. Murmur. Be a little critical at times. I love it. After this many years, my wife quit saying amen. But I'm supposed to be like a star shining brightly in the universe, demonstrating the glory of God and His redemptive power. And when we're murmuring and complaining, we are anything but that. And we live in that kind of world 
today, a crooked and depraved generation. It's all around us. And I know how easy it is for me and probably every single one of us, we get in social situations or around groups of people and all we do is complain and criticize. Political seasons seem to be really good at bringing that out of us. And we do that, and yet we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be thankful. Can you wake up? What day is the election? Tuesday. Can you wake up Wednesday, assuming there's a decision, and no matter who's president, be thankful and not complain and murmur? We should. It's an act of obedience. Not necessarily a feeling. How can we do that? How can we do that? I don't just mean on Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm not talking about that. But how can we do it in a general sense? Because there's lots of times I don't feel like being thankful. How do I do it? What is the remedy for grumbling and complaining? To all of the grumblers and complainers in here, I am going to give you the antidote. The remedy. And if we need greater motivation, the antidote is the same as the great motivation. The answer is this. Keep our eyes on the cross. All it represents, all that Jesus did. I know that sounds like a corny spiritual thing. Reality is, keep your eye on the cross. If you really, really believe and understand, even in partially what that cross represents. What in the world do we have to complain about? What do we have to murmur about? What do we have to be critical about? If I keep my eyes on the cross knowing that that cross represents the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to pay the price for my sins, that I could be taken from eternal damnation into eternal glory because of what Jesus did. And that promises for me, and all I have to do is receive it by faith because of the grace of God that he extends towards me. So instead of being eternally condemned, I'm going to be eternally in glory with him. What in the world do I have to complain about? The answer is the cross, isn't it? We sang about the cross. The reality, it's the truth, the cross. In Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, it doesn't say the word thankful. Very familiar scripture, but I'm trying to add to the antidote, to the motivator. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in Him. Trust in the work of the cross. Trust that He is God, that He is in control no matter what. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. What's a good way to acknowledge Him? Thankfulness. Thanksgiving. Gratitude. In all your ways. And He will make your path straight. You ever notice? Every time I say things that aren't in my notes, I get in trouble. (laughs) But you ever notice the biggest complainers the most critical speakers, the greatest murmurers, their life is a wreck so often. I wonder if it could be because they're not on that straight path. And I'm not talking about just unbelievers here. I'm saying so many believers. Our life is a mess and we continue to grumble and complain and murmur. 
Do we believe the Scriptures? Do we believe Jeremiah 29, 11? We hear it often. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Not to harm you. Plans to, to give you hope and a future. Do we believe these things? If we do, thankfulness, gratitude should continually pour forth from us. As the worship team comes forward, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do praise you and give you glory and honor. Give you great thanks, God, for who you are. Lord, when we stand before you knowing that you are the creator of the universe, by your words, all that we know and see was created. Father, and you have declared that we are created in your own image. God, imagine that. We are created in your image. Thank you, Lord. And you promise that you have a plan and a destiny for our lives. We thank you for that plan. God, we praise you. And we pray that we would develop by your grace to have an attitude of thanksgiving and thankfulness. That we'd be able to give you glory and honor and praise in all things. That we truly could be like that bright shining star world around us that's fallen apart. Lord, I pray for each one of us here that you reveal those things in our lives that you want to remove. Those things that are hindering us walking in your will in every area that we can. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You'd stand if you're able and let's close with this song.